Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. Romans 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contra- that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up their natural, natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Romans 1, uh, good to be with you this evening. Uh, so Romans 1 will be in verses 18 through 20. I do want to review a little bit of, from verse 16. Um, but before that, I want to jump into um, or tell you a little story about my childhood. We had this awesome tree. I don't know if you have like a beloved tree from your childhood, but I had a huge weeping willow in my backyard. And um, at least it seemed huge. Like probably now it wouldn't seem as huge as it was like, I'll always remember it as huge because I was a little kid, and I could climb in it, and we would climb way up, and it felt like we were super high, and I loved being in that tree. And uh, one day, we were told by a landscaper uh, who, you know, knew a lot more about trees than most, and he said, that, that thing's got to come down. You've got to chop down this beautiful tree. Uh, it's not safe. And um, I was like, what are you, crazy? Like, we cannot chop down this tree. And you would look at it, and it looked fine. Like, it looked great. It looked like a beautiful tree that should be preserved and protected and kept, right? Uh, because, how much, because of how much my brother and I loved playing and climbing in that tree. Um, it looked great on the outside, right? But this massive, lovely, beautiful tree was on the brink of collapse. And nobody knew it, right? Except for someone who knew a lot more about trees than we did. And uh, if it were to collapse, it would cause tremendous damage, right? This thing could kill someone. Uh, And it could destroy our house, right? It was a big enough tree to do, like, horrendous damage to our home. And sure enough, they cut that tree down. And um, when you looked inside the stump, 
um, there were a few inches of good, solid wood, but the rest was rotted and soft to the touch. So that tree was really on the brink of collapse and causing a massive problem. Um, and so I think that's kind of a picture uh, of what Romans 1 gets into, right? Um, is that humanity really is human beings apart from God. We're on the brink of ruin. We're on the brink of collapse. And the big problem is that we don't see it, right? We're really good as human beings um, of thinking that we're better than we actually are. And that way of thinking, uh, which the Bible calls sin, this idea of like thinking that we're wonderful, like this, this, whole, this whole pridefulness that we have as human beings is really dangerous, right? Because it keeps us from seeing reality um, and keeps us from seeing a potential solution to that horrendous uh, and very potentially deadly problem. Uh, but to understand Romans 1, 18 through 32, I think we need to go back and understand Romans 1, 16 through 17. And, um, and I know that was covered last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time here. But Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, 16, because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So... Um, because this is the theme of the entire book of Romans, I think, and everything that comes after these verses, uh, we need to kind of camp out here for just a second and think about what Paul means. Uh, as, we, as we kind of unpack Paul's bleak description of humanity, we need to understand what he means by the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel, right? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of it? Because in it, because of the salvation it provides, but then also because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So God provides salvation by revealing, unveiling his righteousness. Um, and so salvation in Paul's mind isn't about being rescued from this world so that you can go to heaven one day. Heaven is a, 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 a eternity with God is a byproduct of this gospel, but that's not what the salvation is about. It's God's desire to rescue and redeem you in this world, salvation begins here. And it's really important that we understand that because that's going to be in, Paul's going to impact that throughout the rest of the book of, of Romans. It begins here and then has implications that bleed on into eternity. But your salvation that you experience now is meant to redeem you and renew you now for your place and your part in what God's doing here and now in this world. You have a real part to play in this redemption plan. And it's really important that you understand it. God will rescue the entirety of creation. That's the testimony of the Bible. He will rescue the entirety of, of creation from corruption and decay. He promises us new bodies and a new heavens and a new earth. So, so what I want to sort of establish is that uh, we've kind of got to reorient our thinking about the gospel being this ticket to heaven and see it as a story of redemption and restoration and renewal and resurrection. And it's all those things that have future implications, but it's those things now. You are a resurrected creature now. You are a renewed creature now. You are a redeemed creature now. You are a restored creature now. Paul is going to contrast and has contrasted for us, as we've read through Romans 1 already, he's contrasted, um, I think, the garden with the current state of humanity now. Um, we had a beautiful existence in the garden, didn't we? And that's been corrupted by sin. But the gospel is good news about God's plan to save, and this saving happens by God's revealing his justice, his righteousness. And revealing, in Romans 1.17, is maybe 
a difficult phrase for us to understand. It's not just that he makes it visible, right? It's not just that he makes it known. It's not just that like knowledge goes out. That's part of it. There's certain knowledge that we need to understand about the gospel, about who Jesus is, what he accomplished, um, what his death and resurrection and life mean for us. Um, but it's more than that, right? Um, this revealing is, is kind of, maybe a better way to think about it is God taking his righteousness and bringing it to bear. He's not just revealing righteousness, not just revealing his justice, he's bringing it to bear on our world. This is why Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, our realm, where we live, as it is in God's realm in heaven, where he, where he resides, where he reigns and rules. In the gospel, God is bringing his perfect righteousness to affect our existence here to impact our existence here, to to change it and to resurrect it and to renew it. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray that way, because it isn't uh, merely future. It's the power of God's love breaking into the present and freeing people from the power of sin and death by establishing God's righteousness on earth. And that sounds lovely, doesn't it? I want to live in a world where, where Jesus is king, don't you? Like, if we could elect Jesus for president next time, it would be such a better president, right? Because we look at Jesus in the Gospels and we see how he operates and what he does. And he's, like, casting out demons and healing diseases. And he's, he's doing miracles. Like, when Jesus is around, everybody goes home full. And there's leftovers, right? Like, when he's at the party, Jesus is making the best wine for the party, and everybody is thrilled. Like, Jesus makes all things new. He makes things better. In the Gospels, Jesus is constantly bringing renewal to creation. And, and he, he always knows the right thing to say and do in situations. Like, he, you know, he steps in and says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. And he's just always, um, like, I look at Jesus and I think, that, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of, I know I'm not that way, but that's the kind of person I want to be. Like, he is Adam, as Adam should have been, he's, he's the one true human. He's the one human being who finally got being human right. That's what humanity should look like. But we look at our world, right, and we see a problem. There's not a whole lot of people that look like Jesus. And there's this whole problem with this dirty, rotten, to the core tree that is our world. Our world doesn't feel like a place where God's justice has been established, does it? We look around and, and you can see lots of problems with our world. Um, take, some, take a few examples of, of some of the most glaring injustices in our culture. Um, human trafficking is still alive and well and is an example of, of the deep corruption of humanity. Um, the brokenness in our homes. We live in a country with you know, a, a huge divorce rate and there's so many broken homes and so many broken families and not, shedding, not casting blame on any one person in those kind of situations. And if you've gone through that, that's not what I'm intending to say, but all those things are rooted in like dysfunction. Our world is not as it should be. It's not, it's not a place where Jesus reigns and rules or it doesn't feel like it's a place where Jesus reigns and rules. It certainly doesn't feel that way. So, so why does it not feel that way? Well, I don't want to be glib uh, but I want to give you the Sunday school answer of how we can see that Jesus uh, or that God's justice has been established on earth. So how do we know that God's justice has been established on earth, even though it doesn't feel like it? How can we know that his righteousness reigns and rules, that, that, that it's been established here, even though it, we look around and we're like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not experiencing that now. I don't see that. 
Uh, and it's a Sunday school answer, and I'm sorry about that, but it is. So how do we know that God's justice has been established? Well, we know that because of Jesus. Jesus is how God's problem, uh, promise to Abraham to redeem the world has been fulfilled. Jesus and all that he is and all that he embodies um, and all that he does is God's justice being revealed, God's justice being established on earth. Um, he is the justice of God and he embodies the justice of God. So what does that have to do with Paul says, what Paul says about sin and humanity in Romans 8, 1 through, or 18 through 32? Um, I don't have time to break down every... Uh, every verse in this chapter, but what we can do, what I can do is kind of give you a quick summary. Uh, Paul says God's really mad about sin. Like, that's the first thing he says to us in verse 18. God's wrath is revealed from where? From heaven. Remember, that's where God reigns and rules. From the realm of God, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's not, like, hear this, God's not really ticked off at you but he is ticked off at what you've done, right? And what I've done. I'm in the same camp, not just you, okay? We're not just casting shade on you. Um, we're all in the same camp, right? Um, it's revealed against all the ungodliness and, right and righteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. Because what can be known about God is evident. Why? Because God's shown it to them. He's not hidden who he is and what he's like. Uh, some people talk about God's two books. Um, so there's the Bible, and then there's, there's the world we live in, nature. Um, and nature is screaming to us all the time, speaking to us all the time. This world that we live in, uh, I was just at uh, Long Hunter State Park and seeing this this morning, watching, uh, you know, hiking with, with Jennifer and seeing the trees change. And the trees changing is God screaming to us about his power and his divine nature. They're clearly revealed. Um, Ryan and I were talking about this passage via text before I was going to preach, and um, it's almost as if Paul's saying there's no such thing as atheists. We, you know, I wouldn't say that to an atheist friend of yours. Like, you know, I don't believe in you. I don't believe you exist. Don't say that to them. That's not very nice. But it's almost what God is, uh, what Paul's saying to us through, through this passage, that that's, that's not a real thing. Because we all know deep down, we, we, but what, what do we do? We suppress that truth because it's uncomfortable. Why? Because of what Paul's going to break down for us further. We want more of our own desires and passions. Like, we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to be the ones that call the shots. Um, and so, as a result, people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him God, as God or show gratitude. But instead, their thinking became worthless. So in our rejection of God, humanity just falls further and further and further. That's what, what Paul lays out for us. Uh, their senseless hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images re re resembling mortal man, birds, and four-footed animals and reptiles. Um, and here's what's going on in this whole, like, worship of idolatry. I think a lot of times we think of, we read stories about idolatry in the Old Testament, we think they're really silly, because we're like, why would anyone worship a statue? That seems really dumb. I would never do that. Uh, but also, it's important to remember, like, we live in a culture where that's not normal. There are plenty of cultures across the globe where it is Supernormals, so that's one thing to be aware of, our own sort of like Western bias as we read those passages. Another thing to be aware of, I think, is that um, a lot of the, the stories in the Bible about idolatry are not so much about, um, about foreign gods in an objective sense as, as, as what happens when you make an idol. So think about that story, one of the first stories of, of idol worship in the Bible. You remember the story, um, uh, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law and... Uh, 
and people are getting frustrated, and so they tell Aaron to fashion for them. They get a bunch of gold jewelry and have Aaron fashion for them a god that they can worship. And so Aaron lifts up these, these golden calves for everyone, and he says, Behold your gods who brought you up out of land of Egypt. What is, what's happening in that moment? Um, it's not just that they're doing something dumb and worshiping in a golden calf, but what they're doing is they're diminishing the glory of God into something manageable, something that they can control, something that they're in charge of. They're taking this God that's supposed to be holy and above us and, and, and um, set apart and making him manipulative. Making him, a, making him manipulatable, that's, that's a word. <laughs> trying to manipulate who God is. Trying to, like it's, it's us trying to take the, the throne. Um, and so that's why uh, idolatry is a problem. It's not just this like worshiping. I mean, yes, there's things like, that we make in idols like power and money and, um, and sex and all, and all the rest. But um, all those are rooted in this deeper thing of like we want to be the ones that call the shots, right? We want to be the ones that are in charge. We want to decide what's right. Um, and every man is right in his own eyes. So, um, so here's what Paul's saying about humanity. Uh, it's really broken, right? And so what does God do in response to this? Paul says this phrase uh, three times in this passage. Therefore, God delivered them over, right? He delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their, body, their bodies were degraded among themselves. Um, for this reason, God gave them over to disgraceful passions in verse 26. Um, and so men are, are doing shameful acts with men and so forth. And then in verse 28, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivers them over to a corrupt mind so that they did not do what is right. And they're filled with all unrighteousness and evil and wickedness and greed. Um, so what, why is God giving them over? God is taking away their strength. Um, People are not nearly, something we need to remember is that none of us are nearly as bad as we think we are. Um, And and the people around us who are not followers of Jesus are not nearly as bad as sometimes we think they are. Um, Because God is restraining us. God is protecting us. God's grace is upon every person in some some way. God's general grace is on on people. And so no one's as bad as they they could be. Um, But God in this but, but, but because we want to be in charge, because we want to be king of our own lives, God says, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give that to you. God's not forcing anyone, for, God's not moving anyone, we need to understand this, God's not moving anyone further into sinfulness. God's not making people make foolish decisions. We're, we're really good at that on our own. We don't need any help. But what God is saying is that if that's what you want, have at it. Have at it. So I think, I think it was C.S. Lewis who, uh, who said something to the effect of like, no one goes kicking and screaming into hell because it's what, it's what we want. It's what we run after. That's naturally what we want. And so that's just God's uh, taking, his, taking his hands off and saying, if that's what you want, I'm going to allow you to make that. I'm going to give you the dignity of that choice. Um, and so, uh, so we need to remember um, that Paul is, I think, making a contrast here between... Um, I think it's really clear that there's a contrast between the idolatry and the disordered desires and the disordered passions and the corrupt minds of humanity versus everything that was good and beautiful and ordered where? In the garden, right? I think there's a clear contrast in this pas- from this passage that, that Paul's contrasting our current state of life with the garden. And... Uh, 
That's hopeful. That's the hope I want to leave you with, is that although this passage seems really not very hopeful because Paul says a lot about how broken we are, we need to remember that this is all a part of God's plan to reveal and establish his righteousness on earth. So I just want to say four things about, about, um, about sin and about God's righteousness being established on earth, and we'll, we'll close out from there. These, these will go quick, but first, I think we, need to, we see from this passage that all sin is rooted in unbelief. This passage makes really clear that all sin is rooted in unbelief. It is a theological problem. What we believe about God and about the world matters. And we need to be really careful not to think that, like, I get to decide what that is, who God is and what he's like. I get to decide the state of the world. I get to decide these things. I'm in charge. Um, Paul says again and again and again that this is rooted in our suppression of the truth. And he makes clear that what can be, that, that who God is, that much of who God is, not everything about who God is, but so much of who God is has been clearly revealed in creation. And so we don't have an excuse. Um, so all sin is rooted in unbelief. So it's a theological problem. And it's a theological problem. Number two, it's a theological problem with a massive, with massive relational implications. Um, Paul lays out a lot of problems that are present in humanity, and they have huge implications on our relationships with one another. Um, so just for an example, look at um, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way left their natural relations with men and were inflamed with lust for one another. Uh, Paul's point there is not to highlight homosexuality as this unforgivable sin or something or as this thing that's worse than other sins. It's not his point at all. His point is that it's a clear break from the established order in creation. You see that, right? And so then look, look at what he says in verse 28. And because they did not think worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did not do what was right. And they are filled with unrighteousness and evil and greed and wickedness. What do greed and wickedness and unrighteousness and evil all have in common? And envy and murder and quarrels and deceit and malice, they all are relational sins that cause damage, deep damage to the people around us. And so um, sin is a theological problem, but it always results in relational problems. It causes dysfunction in homes. It, it causes us to be at odds with one another. It, 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 it hurts it hurts us and the people around us. Um, so Paul is giving a summary, I think, in verses 29 through 31, of where humanity would be on its own. Um, and God is opposed to this kind of, of, of way of life. Um, but the fact that he's opposed to it, the fact that God's wrath is revealed against these things, is actually really good news. Why might that be good news? Why is it good news that God's wrath is revealed against these things? Because he's going to do something about it. He's not sitting by and letting our world be corrupted. His righteousness is revealed. That means he's going to step in and bring resurrection and restoration and renewal. He's not done with this world. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's stepping in. That's, that's the gospel. He doesn't sit by, but he takes on human flesh, wraps a towel around his waist, and washes the feet of his own disciples. Right? That's the God that we serve. He humbles himself to the point of obedience, to the point of death on a cross. And so God is opposed to sin so much so that he's going to do something about it, and then he has done something about it. And the thing that he's done is he's died on the cross and risen again, freeing us from the power of sin and death. 
So the last thing I want to say is, um, as we read passages like this, I think there's a temptation um, to imagine that the world is horribly and, and totally and utterly wicked. And it's more complex than that. I want to encourage you to avoid that extreme because it's more complex than that. Yes, humanity is corrupt and broken and in need of a savior. But also, it's not as bad as it could be. Everyone around you, remember this. We need to, we need to always remember the foundation of the Bible when we talk about the people around us. Every person you come in contact with this week shares something really, really, really important in common. And that's that they bear the image of a good and glorious God. And so you're going to see the people around you do really awesome and good things that are not believers. You're going to see people who are not believers do live better lives than you live, like by many standards, by many, by many accounts. And that's okay. Um, we need to recognize that. Um, so don't fall into the trap of thinking that uh, every, everyone around you is horribly, utterly wicked. Um, they're broken, and they need a savior. But they have so much to offer to. Um, the fact that we're created in the image of God reminds us all that everyone, everyone you come in contact with, including yourself, including everyone in your family, all has tremendous potential for the glory of God and the good of the world. So I want to encourage you when you read passages like this, don't have this, don't embody this really uh, pessimistic view of everyone around you. Because I, I, I firmly believe that's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to an optimistic view of ourselves and others because of the redemption he offers in Jesus. And because of the fact that we were, our foundation, our creation is a good one. We chose, we chose sin. Um, we've, we've embraced a corruption that is deep, and it's so deep that the tree is about to collapse, like that rotted willow I told you about. Um, but we're not as bad as we could be, and the posture I think God would have us take to the people around us is one of hope. And then secondly, I think there's a temptation we can fall into when we read passages like this, is that thinking that this is all a bit too much. Paul's so pessimistic about humanity, he's such a downer, that uh, maybe, we should just, maybe we should just decide the world isn't really evil at all. And that's a big problem, right? Because that's what we've been doing all along, right? That's what humanity's been doing all along. We've been convincing ourselves that everything is fine. And the reality that it's not, right? It's really not okay. And we need a savior. And we need to embrace the, resurrec the resurrection and redemption that only he provides. And if we go looking for that resurrection and redemption in ourselves, we'll be disappointed, right? Um, I'm glad that God's wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness of people because it reminds me that he's not done. He's going to do something about it. He's going to bring his righteousness to bear. But to, to understand that, we have to understand this reality that there's, there's some real brokenness that we need God to address um, in our hearts. And let's, let's ask him to begin there, right? Let's ask him to begin in our hearts so that we might uh, proclaim that hope to the people around us. Make sense? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together uh, tonight. I pray that you would bless it and that you would help us to um, just embody the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus in, our, um, in the way we do life, in our relationships, uh, in our families, in our homes, in our work, um, in our relationship with our kids. Father, guide us, help us to uh, see our part in your uh, plan to bring your righteousness to bear on this earth. Um, help us to see our purpose Help us to um, turn away from um, living for ourselves and instead live for your glory and your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. 
For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.